welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Um, let me say the hard, the hardest part first. <clears> that I think that I think that'll get us into the subject matter. Um, when we or I or us honor those who God has placed in authority over us, we honor God. I'll say it again. When we or us or I uh, um, when we honor those who God has placed in authority over us, or me, I honor God. Now, that sounds biblical, right? Uh, and, uh, I mean, it, it sounds like the righteous thing to say, but, I mean, obviously, i got to back this up, right? Because these are pretty hard words, because all of us, each and every one of us have been hurt by God-assigned authorities in our lives. All of us have been disappointed by politicians and, and, and friends and co-workers and bosses and pastors and parents. I mean, even hurt or disappointed is not even enough to describe what a lot of us have experienced. I, it almost sounds like I'm dismissing our, the, our emotions when we talk about these subjects, right? All of us have been hurt by God-assigned authorities. So is God sadistic if he asks us to honor authority that he appointed? Is he, is he, is he crazy? Why, why would he want us to do that? It doesn't make any sense. But it's, it's very evident if we look at some very key scriptures, and especially the passage we're going to be looking at today, that God does appoint leadership that sometimes is unsavory, but for a particular purpose. And we can honor authorities that hurt us and disappoint us. We can. But we can do it by believing that God is our judge and he is our advocate. He is a judge and he is the advocate of the righteous. Who is so thankful that he is your judge and he is your advocate? He has called you righteous. He's justified you. But he also will come to your aid because he has justified you. We can also honor authorities that hurt us um, by honoring our own identity, by just owning it, who we are in Christ. And the last point is by trusting that God will reward our righteousness and our faithfulness to him. He will reward it. Our trust in him, he promises to reward it. So this word honor is a big deal, right? I mean, let's, let's, let's look at some, uh, some very key examples of this word, right? If we look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16, we're talking about honor your father and mother. And then the promise is that you're, you will live long in the land if you do that. You'll have a long life or a prosperous life if you honor. And what's that word honor mean? You know, Pastor Josh let us know a little bit about this when he was going through Psalm 91. It's that word kaved. And kaved means literally 
to make something heavy. Weird, huh? Or, 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 or it describes weightiness or, or being given a burden. So let's look at that verse again. Literally, it says, to, to make heavy your father and mother, and now your life is going to be long on the earth. What does that mean? I have to, my parents have to give me a piggyback ride? Like, no, I'd kill my dad, I'm pretty sure. Like, there's, there's, it's kind of strange. Like, what, what do they mean by that? Well, you, well, well what's, what's our English definition? Well, our English definition is honor is to give respect or give something high esteem, right? And we use the example of our veterans. So we, we, we give somebody honor uh, because of a sacrifice that they went through or, they, they, or an expense or, or a weight or something that they carried on our behalf. And so we honor our veterans who, who fought for our freedom uh, that we experience now in some ways in Canada. And then even if you look at this next verse, and this is the hard ones, so let's get this one out of the way. I want to look at Romans chapter 13, verse 1 to 7. And I want to just have us look at what this, how this word honor applies. It says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he, he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to God's wrath, but also for the sake of their conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities are, this is a tough word, the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Now, we understand that Paul is talking about governing authorities, talking about civil authorities, and we can have a conversation. We can have a conversation about civil disobedience. We can have a conversation about, you know, you know, what our opinions are and how our government runs things. That's actually an easier conversation than what I want to talk about today. Because, because we, can we can all easily assign a subjective value to how things are going on in our world around us. However, the tougher conversation is, how do we relate to God on this subject matter? Because God appoints leadership. He is the one who assigns it. He says, God even assigns them for the, for the very purpose of our good. But then why? Why are we have authorities in our lives? Parents, teachers, you know, coaches uh, who have offended us and disappointed us. Listen, I've used this story before. Talked to the story before, but I want to bring it up again. Uh, I, I, I was really involved in track and field growing up. Loved track and field. Was very good at the 100-meter dash, very fast. I had a coach in my grade 9 year who saw this natural talent in me and, and, was, and was highly supportive. He was very, very affirmative of my skill. 
all along the journey from, from just running against kids in my school to running against kids in the city and running against kids in the region to all of a sudden running against kids in Ontario. So I was doing this and I was doing very well and he was with me the whole way, very affirmative man, very encouraging man. He, he was just doing his job, but he didn't realize that he was filling a void in my life by being, um, being the affirmative voice of a man in my life. Well, my grade 10 year came around and we were doing our, we were getting ready for practice and there was a, there was a practice scheduled, but I wasn't aware of it. Or for whatever reason, maybe I had forgotten or, 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 or had misplaced a date or something. But I ended up coming to the next practice after the practice that I missed. And this coach came to me and kind of pulled me aside, pulled me into like the general kind of a hallway area that was closed by doors where the rest of the team was on the other side of the doors. And this guy railed me out. He basically let me know that I was in the wrong for missing that first practice. And what I believe was his purpose was to make a statement to the rest of the team that if you don't go by the rules that this is what I'm going to do and blah, blah, blah. So he had his, so he, you know, he kind of yelled at me very loudly. He was very shameful in front of the rest of my peers. Then I had to go back into the practice area with everybody else and nobody can look me in the eye because it was so embarrassing. Now here's the thing. He might have grown up with somebody in his life where he uh, maybe had a father or, or, or an authority figure who he, whom he trusted, who maybe came down hard on him and maybe he felt like that was right. But, but for me, it crushed me. It crushed my soul. And he couldn't have known that. But I kept that inside and that was a great burden for me for many years. Matter of fact, I would say that it was some of the, probably one of the reasons why I just kind of stopped running track and field. And God has his own purposes for that. But listen, we have God-assigned authorities, people who have earned our trust, but then abuse our trust. What do we do with this? How can God assign authorities like this? And then ask us to honor them. Well, then let's listen to that definition again. To be heavy. What does that mean? How do we relate to that? Well, in Hebrew terms, when, they're, when, they're, when we're talking about uh, honor as a theme in the Bible, the Hebrews understood the term as being somebody who has somebody who has honor is referred to somebody who is carrying a certain burden. They have been gifted with a burden on your behalf or someone else's behalf. And that's like a serious weightiness that these individuals carry. And it's about what they have been given, not necessarily about their performance. So here's another way of looking at that word honor. Honor can also mean treat with respect those who have been given a weight of responsibility on your behalf. Let me say that again. Treat with respect those who have been given a weight of responsibility on your behalf. And now when we treat those individuals with respect, we are also respecting the giver of the responsibility, right? Because honor is actually about identity more than performance. Honor is what is given. They've been given a burden, a weightiness, a responsibility on your behalf. And it's not assigned based on their performance, but it's what God had, has given them. So by showing respect to the giver of that responsibility, I'm not basing that honor or that respect 
on their performance. That's how we can do that. That's how we can respect. See, see, respect is different than like, right? There's a lot of people I respect. And there's a lot of people that I like. And there's some people that I like and respect. And there's a lot of people that I respect, but I don't exactly like them. Um, and everybody wants to be liked. I mean, not all of us can be Eldon, right? I mean, all of us want to be Eldon, but it's not possible. And he's carrying the burden of being liked by everybody. So have mercy on him. But you know what? It's like being liked or liking somebody and respecting somebody are two different things. And we understand that. Because being liked is very subjective. It's, it's conditional. I mean, I might like somebody based on how they make me feel or, 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 how, they, or, or how they treat somebody else. And, and it's all based on condition. I mean, only God likes unconditional. But in this case, when it comes to respect, we can, respect can be given based on somebody's identity. We can do that for that reason. Because identity is how, identity over performance is how God operates. It's kind of God's way. Right? I mean, we were born dead to God. We were born not able to please God. We were born with indwelling sin in our body and and we were also born with spirits that were disconnected from God. Now, God still liked us enough because we were made in his image and he formed us in our mother's womb, but we could not be with him because our identity was messed up. It, was, it wasn't a place where he could be with us. And so God did the most amazing thing by allowing us to die with him allowing us to die with Jesus on the cross. When he was crucified, we were crucified with him. Our old identities, our old spirits died and were buried, never to come back again. And now we're raised a new life with a new spirit that is righteous and that God indwells and God is with us in, um, because of this new identity. What a great privilege we have. And so our performance matters, but it's not as much as important as the fact that our identity has changed. So now as I reflect on my identity and who I am as a righteous child of God, that informs how I behave. That changes how I think about myself and thus changes the things that I do. You see, honor is about identity and identity is given by God. All of us have been hurt by God-assigned authorities. So is God sadistic if he asks us? to honor authority? The answer is, we're going to find out the answer is no. How can we honor authorities that hurt us is the big question. How can we do this? And so we're going to look at it through, um, we're going to learn about this by looking at 1 Samuel chapter uh, 26. And it's a story about King David, not even King David, but David before um, uh, he becomes king. And he's dealing with his last interaction with Saul, this man who's pursuing him, who hates him, is jealous of him. But he is the one who is in authority, and David is the one on the run. And we're going to learn from his story about what it looks like to honor those who hurt us, how to respect them, how to treat them with the respect um, that has been given to them by the giver of this responsibility, which is Jesus. Um, let me just pray quickly. Jesus, that was a big intro. It was long, so, I mean, i got to make up some time now. But I'm asking for your uh your instruction, and I'm asking for you to speak through me. And I mean, even as we are listening to you now, 
I listen to this message now. I pray that it would be your words that are heard and that you would touch our hearts and move our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So Stephen B. Chapman says this about the book of Samuel. I need to give you this preface first before I jump in. He says that at its core, the narrative of the book of Samuel is about God's loyalty to David. It's not about David's loyalty to God. Well, we understand he was called a man after God's own heart, right? But it's really about God's loyalty to David. God appoints David as, as, a, as a leader of his people, and he demonstrates faithfulness all through his story. You know, if you look at even, this is just a basic way to look at the narrative in the Bible, right? I mean, we're always inclined to look at the human characters as being the main character. But that's not true. The main character of especially any historical narrative in the Bible, the main character is always God. And the humans are the foil. They're the, um, uh, they're the Aragorns and, uh, and the Gimli's. Uh, they're the Qui-Gon Jinn's and the Obi-Wan Kenobi's, you know? I gotta talk about Star Wars. You know, you watch, you watch you know, episode one, Phantom Menace, you know, Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan are the first, you know, people you meet. And so you might assume that they're the main characters, but no, who's the main character? Well, the main character is the little boy, Anakin, who will become Darth Vader. And uh, we don't have time to get into the whole story. That's another sermon for another time. Uh, but we understand that these individuals are not the main characters. When we read historical narrative in the Bible, God is the main character, but the people are the foils who help you to see how the main character is, what the main character's character is. And so that's, that's what we're going to be looking at, how God is so loyal to David. It's not about how loyal David is to God. And I, I'm, I'm setting this up because what we're going to see is that David in this story is used as an example of what a righteous leader should look like, what a righteous leader, what kind of qualities they should have, or what does the righteous do in comparison to what you know, evil people do. And the contrast is David to Saul. And we're gonna, you're going to see that over and over again um, as we talk. But, but David makes a very, very clear righteous choice um, in, in this part of the passage because he discerns that you cannot kill. Well, we're talking about honor, like showing someone respect, but he's in a situation where he knows his best interest is probably to kill King Saul, the person whom God has appointed in leadership. We're not even talking about respect. We're talking about like, okay, I should probably kill this guy. But he says, I will not do it because he is the Lord's anointed. God has appointed him. So the word anointed is used over and over again in this, um, in this passage. Um, but the problem here is, here's, a, here's one of the first contrasts between Saul and David, is that Saul puts emphasis on the oil, of the anointing oil that Samuel poured on his head. He put emphasis on the fact that Samuel anointed him to be king. He put emphasis on the approval of men. He said, well, this, this is where my leadership comes from. And he made decisions based on that and it caused him all kinds of calamity. But David was different. David knew that it wasn't the oil poured over his head that made him a king. He knew it wasn't that Samuel poured the oil he knew that the responsibility given to him was from God, that God appoints leadership, and that is demonstrated in his character. And it's also pointed out in Samuel chapters 24 through to 26, you see there's this 
this, this story we're going to look at is also repeated in chapter 24 in, in, in a lot of ways. It's different in a lot of ways, too, but it's also repeated in, in a handful of ways. And in the middle of that is a story of uh, David and Nabal and how Abigail stopped him from getting revenge on Nabal because Nabal had treated him so poorly. But he learned a very important object lesson there. And it's the same object lesson that we're going to dive in and look at today, that Yes, God does appoint certain leadership, but he also, in the same way, he still asks us to honor that leadership as though we're honoring him. So let's look at this right away. Okay. First Samuel chapter 26, verse 1, it says this, Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding himself on the hill of Hakilah, which is on the east of Jeshimon? So it's Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped on the hill of Hakilah, which is beside the road to the west, the east of Jessamon. But David remained in the wilderness. And when he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies and learned that Saul had indeed come. So then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay with Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. And Saul was lying within the encampment while the army was encamped around him. So again, Samuel 24, David's being pursued by, by Saul. He has a similar scenario where he, he, he spares Saul's life. He had an opportunity to kill him. He spared his life. Um, but he's still on the run. And then we get to this place again where we have our final interaction between these two. And again, he's on the run again. Saul's chasing him. But here we find something so interesting. One thing we know is about this right away is that David, and I think that this is what the authors want you to know. David is the, is the righteous one who is worthy of honor, but Saul is not. So take, for example, Saul has taken 3,000 choice men. He's taken 3,000 Dwayne Johnsons. His best, his best crop, his biggest, strongest guy. He's taken 3,000 of them to go to battle against David. Now, David has about 600 men with him like loyal friends, and they're kind of doing, you know, guerrilla warfare, like hiding, like, you know, Robin Hood and his merry men in the, in, the, in the woods. The word wilderness here is actually woods, so he's actually hiding in the woods like, like, um, like Robin Hood and his merry men. And so the, the ratio in this battle is actually one to five. Like, it's, it's not fair. So Saul comes, but he also says that he camps near the road near to Jeshimon, and this is, and I'm sorry, uh, near to Hekila, and Hekila is actually a village. So he's actually camping near a city for convenience. Just in case he needs to run to the washroom or he needs to grab a quick Timmy's. You know, you know it's like, well, let me get my Timbits. You know, just anything might happen. He's not even going directly into wilderness. He's so passive. So he takes 3,000 men. And he's waiting for an attack. And this is, this is the next part that I think is really, really, impo is really important, is that we notice that that word lay is used over and over again. It's that word shakav, and that demonstrates that they're trying to emphasize that he's lying down. He's in the most vulnerable position. He's so passive. He's lying down. Everyone's lying down. Everyone's sleeping. And then this word encamped is used three times. So he's created this camp, but, the, but one of the times it's used is actually... It's actually the word circle, circled, but they call it encamped. And so what they're trying, what, what you wouldn't know if you didn't know the original language is that he's actually put around him the 3,000 men and he's put himself in the center of it. So he's like, I'm taking the safest way out of this. I'm going to get my Timmy's. I'm going to have my coffee. I'm going to, 
you know, do my Sudoku and I'm going to sleep. Everybody just sit and wait. But what is David doing? David is active. He gets his spies to go out and check if it's really Saul, right? If, someone, if someone's chasing you down to kill you, you don't want him to go into, into interaction with them. David sends spies to be like, okay, check if it's really Saul. They come back, they're like, yeah, it's Saul. He's like, okay, I'm going in. Look at the contrast here. Saul puts out 3,000 men to protect himself. David says, I'm going into the camp myself. Who's coming with me? We're going to look at that next. He says, who's coming with me to go and confront him? You know why? Because he's quick to reconcile. He knows that he's been wrongly accused. He knows that he's been wrongly treated, that there's a poor view of him, and he's going in to reconcile. He should go in there to kill him, but he's looking for an opportunity to reconcile with him. Let's see what happens next. Okay, so we're at uh, verse 6. Then David said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Joab's brother Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, who will go down with me into the camp to Saul? And Abishai said, I'll go down with you, good friend, right? Everybody needs an Abishai. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head. And Abner and the army, and there's that word again, Shekav, lay around him. So Saul is presented here as being the next possible candidate to be killed. I mean, if you watch any movie, you know, like sometimes you can just kind of guess, okay, this person's going to get killed next just because of the way that the camera focuses on them and the narrative kind of focuses on those individuals and they're going to like a, a scary situation. This is basically what's happening if this was a movie. You're just you're, like Saul's getting set up to die. But catch this, David is not passive. Instead, he's sending others to find out what to do. He finds out what to do. So he gets a bichet. He says, two of us are going in. They go in and they're, and they're putting themselves in harm's way. They're sacrificing themselves. And this is what happens that next. Verse 8, then Abishai said to David, God, I want us to pay attention to this now. God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now, please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear. And I love how Abishai says this. I won't have to strike twice. I'm just going to get it right the first time. Um, I'm just going to kill him once. Now, what I want to grab here is that Abishai is speaking on behalf of God. Now, I want to know if any of us have been in a scenario like this, where we have received counsel from a friend, a trusted friend, somebody who, who sometimes speaks on behalf of God, and, and they get it right. But he says, God has given you your enemy into your hand this day. Now, please let me pin him to the earth. Now, is he right? Yes, he is right. God has given, him, given Saul into David's hands. But is he also wrong? Yeah, he is. We're going to find out that God actually set this up, but not for the purpose of killing Saul. You know, sometimes we have friends in our lives, trusted friends in our lives who, can, who are very good at pointing out what a truth is. But we have to be very careful that when we're dealing with offense, especially from leaders and authorities and people who've earned our trust but then abused our trust, we have to be very careful that we don't just take a look at what a truth is based on what someone said, even if they say the word is from God. We have to be very careful that we go to the one who is the truth to discern the truth of what to do next. We need to go to Jesus and ask him. Perfect opportunity. I've shared this before. You know, I was in a really dark scenario not too long ago where 
I I knew that I knew that I was in a situation where I had to do something next. I had to stand up for myself. I had to, you know, say something, you know, against you know a, a company or a party, you know, at a time that was just was 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 against me and against my motives. And I thought, you know, I got to go in this, but I said every step of the way, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that I pray about this because I don't want to get this wrong. Now, this is not a pat on the back. Raman does everything right. It was just that the situation was so grave. It was so heavy on me that I was like, I can't get this wrong. There's too many consequences for getting this wrong. I need to trust Jesus with this. And every time I went to Jesus to ask him what to do, he told me what to do. But the end goal didn't bring more peace or comfort. It didn't make everything right. It actually made things worse. And I realized that I had to endure what I did for a purpose. But every step of the way was a reason to be like, God, why, why, why? I understand what, I understand what our truth is. I mean, our truth is that I should stand up for myself. I should fight for my rights. But every instruction from the Lord brought me to a place of, you know, not even solving the situation, maybe just made things worse. And I did suffer all kinds of consequences, but I did it in company, in union, in concert with the Lord. So that every time I look back on the situation, I say, I know what those consequences were, but it was Jesus who led me in it. So I have full confidence that what I endured was for nothing. It was for hope. It was for my strengthening it was for my development as a believer. It was for my development as a leader that I endured what I did. We're going to talk more about that. See, some of us, we get impatient and we take the, the affirmation of people who might speak on behalf of God, people we trust, to do something rash. And sometimes we get impatient with God with a scenario. And what happens is that our growing in grace gets stunted. Because what we endured was a better, if we endured what we were facing, it was going to give us a revelation of the person of Jesus Christ. It was going to help us to see, see him better. Oh, of course we couldn't know everything about him. He's too great. He's so great that not even all the good things that we have is enough of a demonstration of who he is. Even our suffering is a demonstration, is an opportunity for him to reveal his good heart towards us. And some of us have got impatient with God and we said, I'm too impatient. I can't endure this anymore. I'm out. And we miss something. We missed an opportunity. Because we were impatient, we missed an opportunity to grow in grace, to know him more. Paul said, I, I cast off all things. Everything is garbage. Everything is garbage. Even my beautiful Ottawa Senators jersey that I put my name on the back of, and they didn't even make the playoffs this year. All of this is garbage. All of it is rubbish. In comparison to what? In comparison to knowing him person knowing Jesus. We have a lot of abishes in our life, people who are ready to go to battle for us, but we still have to go to the truth. We still have to trust where the truth is. And David knew what the truth was. And you know why? Because he already had that object lesson from, from 1 Samuel 24 and 25. He knew that I do not kill those whom God has appointed. And much like Nabal, um, who, who shortly died after he, after he rejected David, David realized, no, listen, God is going to be my advocate. So God is our judge and our advocate. And he needs to be the first one we go to for wisdom and the first one that we trust in everything that we face. You know, Romans chapter 5, verse 3. 
I'm going to move on. I know we have lots more to look at. Okay, I'm going to keep moving. Romans chapter 5, verse uh, uh, 3 uh, to 5, I think. I'm, hopefully I'm getting this right, guys. It says, it's not only that, but we rejoice in sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What I would have loved is that if we endure suffering, what I wish it said, that the more you endure suffering, the more money will fill up in your bank account. That, that's, that's what I wanted to hear. What, what, what is Paul talking about? He says you endure more suffering and more suffering produces endurance. The word produces actually, it actually could be translated several ways as to, um, it oppresses endurance, it, it subdues endurance, it, it, it beats in endurance. It's, like, it's, like, it's almost describing suffering gives you so much pressure that it makes you stronger so that you can endure more things. Because the truth is that this life that we live is not getting easier. You know, wave after wave of sicknesses and illness and losses and lockdown upon lockdown, and we're getting beaten down by the pressure. But what's happening is that we're becoming diamonds, becoming a stronger, more formidable, a formidable metal and mineral by all the pressure that's being put down on top of us. This is what Romans chapter 5, verse 3 is talking about, that endurance produces character. I had to do that, character. And then from character comes hope. And in our, I love how it says, hope isn't in shame. It's not for your embarrassment that you have hope, that you have hope and all of a sudden be discouraged. No, it's not. It's because God's love is in us and God's love helps us endure things and God's love makes us know that we have hope for a purpose because we have much to look forward to after this life is over because death is gain, but also we trust and know that God is our judge and he is our advocate and he will not leave us alone, but he will produce hope in us. That's the end goal. Hope, we have greater hope. After everything that I've faced so far in my 38 years of life, I'd say the one thing that is most praiseworthy is that I just know him better than I did before it started. And I think a lot of us can admit to that too. Let's keep reading. 1 Samuel 26 verse 9 says this, but but David said to Abishai, do not destroy him, for who can put his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Who could be innocent if you do that? And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. And the, so the Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but take now the spear that is, in, that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. And so David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's he um, head, and then they went away, and no man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. Was Abishai right? Yes, he was. It was a truth. But he was also wrong to say, okay, well, let's kill him. No, this is for a purpose. And, and David realized this is an opportunity for me to vindicate myself, to stand up and honor my identity. And that's what we're going to talk about next right? How can we honor those who are in leadership, who've abused our trust? How can we honor those who have hurt us? Well, we do that by honoring our own identity. 
Let's keep going. 1 Samuel 26, verse 13 says this, Then David went over to the, the other side and stood far off on the top of a hill with a great space between them, and David called to the army. He said, Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Will you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered, Who are you who calls to the king? And David said to Abner, Are you not a man? What a diss. Are you not a man? I love it. Are you not a man? Who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over the king, over your lord the king? For no, for one of the people came in to destroy the king of, the, of your lord. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not kept watch over your Lord, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jar of water was at his head. So now he's at the other side of the hill. He's calling out. He's got the jar, right? He's got he's got Saul's, um, you know, triple-double, you know, extra-large Tim Hortons. He's like, listen, look, I got it here. And they're like, oh, man, that's Saul's drink. And he's also got his spear. And he's like, listen, you guys are not, you guys are worthy to die, not me. You guys are worthy to die because someone came in who could have killed Saul and didn't. Therefore, this is what he's really saying. David's saying, therefore, I protected them. I protected him. You guys failed at your job. So Saul recognized David's voice and said, is this your voice, my son, David? And David said, yep, it's my voice, my lord, O king. Sorry, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. And he said, why does my Lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? He said, what, what have I done to deserve this? What evil is on my hands? Now, therefore, let my Lord the king hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is meant, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. Now, what David is referring to here, something very important I want to point out really quickly. At this point in time, in comparison to us, at this point in time, if you wanted to worship God, you had to worship God at the temple, because that's where the Ark, the covenant was, you know, I mean, actually, not even at this point, but this is where you were supposed to worship. The worship was going to happen at a location, but now in the new covenant location is us, right? We are the temple of the living God and God lives in us. And so worship happens here, there, and everywhere. We don't have to go to a location, but worship is our identity as believers. We've been made to worship him, created to do so. But here we have David who loves God. He knows he's been created to worship. He's already written at this point, some fantastic psalms that, that, have, that will inspire generations upon generations even after us. He can't go and worship God where he's supposed to. Saul is robbing him of his identity. So what does he do? He says, listen, if this, if I've done something wrong against you um, before God, then, then let, me, let me repent of it before God. Let me, let me offer a sacrifice. Let's, just, let's, let's make this between me and God and you. But he said, but if people are stirring you up against me and saying things about me that are incorrect and telling me to go and serve other gods, they're wrong because I know who I am. I know who I am. I am a worshiper of God. I know my hands are clean and I deserve to worship my God. See, he's not here to fight for his rights. See, David has rights at this point because he's also been anointed king. And it's quite evident to a lot of people at this point 
that David is actually the rightful king by his behavior. He even has a wife. He has Saul's, Saul's daughter has been married to, has been given to him in marriage. And Saul's even denying him of his right to be with his wife. So he's been robbed of all his rights. But what is he fighting for? He doesn't go there and say, look at all these things that you've taken from me, give them back. He said, no, look, at my identity has been robbed of me. I am here to fight for what God has given me. Let's talk about rights and identity. You see, our enemy is concerned. Our enemy is concerned with us fighting for our rights if we ignore our identity. Our enemy, Satan, is concerned with us fighting for our rights if we ignore our identity. Let me fill this in. You see, our rights as human beings were abandoned when Adam ate of the fruit. I mean, what, what right do we have? We were just created in the image of God. We had the ability to make, you know, have free will and have a thought within a thought, not like the other creatures that were created. But when Adam ate of the fruit, what did we inherit? What right did we inherit? Well, we only inherited the right to be enemies of God. And what happens to the enemies of God? They only have one thing that they deserve, and they deserve the hellfire reserved for the enemies of God. So what right, what rights do we have? I mean, God wasn't just focused on our rights. You mean he, I mean, our rights are great and they're, and they're privileges and, and, they're, and they're honorable. I mean, God sets them, in, uh, sets them there to, to bless us and, and to help things run in order. But what's the most important thing? He came to reset our identity. Again, like we talked about, we have a new spirit. We, have a, we are a new creation. Our identities have changed and thus our behavior is changed by us reflecting on what our new identity is, that we are now the righteousness of God. We're not judged on the base of our performance. Now, performance is important, but it doesn't overstep identity. You see, Satan is very, con is very content with us to forsake our identity as children of God to forsake prayer, for example. I am, I am God's trophy. I am the pearl of great price. I am the righteousness of God. I am, I am, the, I am, I am the light. And I am the salt of the, of the earth, along with him. Jesus has, has given us his own spirit to live and reside within us. Heaven lives and resides within us. We can call down heaven into scenarios because we are so connected to God. You see, Satan is content with us to distract, is content with us to be distracted from the power of prayer, the power of what has been given to us in our identity as believers to focus on our rights. Oh, I have a right to this, I have a right to that. You know, even if you take into consideration if you take into consideration somebody who's, whose parents have, have passed away and now they have uh, siblings who are fighting over the will and someone who has a power of attorney, a, attorney is denying another family member what they should have, what was their right. Now, if they stay focused on the right, so obviously we don't want to dismiss the fact that they've been not denied things and, and the hurt that is part of that. But that is not their only thing. That's not their only arsenal. It's their argument for their rights. Their other arsenal that is even more greater than that is there our soul of prayer if they're a believer that they could pray 
And they could pray for God to change the hearts of people. They pray for God to, to intervene into a scenario. We're always denying the unseen in favor of what is seen. But here we see David, he comes and he's like, look, this is my identity. This is what God has given me. I have rights to fight for, but the most important thing is that I've been denied my identity as a worshiper of God. Reinstate that, please. See, if our identity is always just going to be based on our circumstances, we're just like a plastic bag in the wind. Blowing here and there and everywhere, chasing every scenario, every external hope and dream dashed or given. But what we have is secure. The power from on high that has been planted within us is secure. It's not going anywhere because you've been made righteous. You're not going to lose the spirit of God through sin. But right inside of you is the power of God to, to, to impact your situation, the external, and also the internal, how you think and process things through the power of prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, goodness, let's keep reading, right? Okay. First Samuel chapter 26, verse 20 says this, Now therefore let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord. This is David still. For the king of Israel has come to seek a single flea, like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. So he even affirms Saul's identity. Can you, you see this, what proper honor does? Proper honor affirms identity because honor is about identity. So he points out to Saul, he's like, listen, you're chasing a flea in the mountains. I got 600 men. You have 3,000 men. You actually have a battle at your doorstep because the Philippines, the Philippines, <laughs> uh-oh, the Philippines, the Philistines are in your back door. They want to come in and they want to take over Israel. Why are you chasing me? You are, you are a great and powerful man. He affirms his identity. This is what honor does. He doesn't like Saul. He has reason to not like Saul, but he could still respect him and call to him to affirm his identity. Now, this is the kind of culture we want here at New Life because we're not always going to like each other, right? Sorry, I, I have to say this. We're not always going to like each other all the time. We're going to have differing opinions on many things, but we want a culture of affirmation. And what does affirmation do? What does affirmation does? Okay. What does affirmation do? It affirms your identity in Christ. If I, if I, I don't have to like everything somebody does to affirm that they are a child of God because I did not give them that title. God did. And so I respect God enough. And when I honor somebody who is an authority over me or if I honor anybody on behalf of God, I'm also honoring God. I mean, all of us want to be here. We want to be able to do that. That's what we're learning about today. Yes, we have God-assigned authorities in our life who abuse their power, but they are God-assigned. So we can affirm their identity. We can affirm, especially if they're children of God, we can affirm that they're children of God, even if they've hurt us. We can show them respect based on that. But we don't have to like everything they do. And, I mean, that sounds great if you're in leadership, obviously, at New Life, but it's also a great practice for each and every one of us in our daily lives with parents, with your, you know, and, and kids to parents and parents, even to your children. You could treat them with the respect and the honor that God has given them because honor is based on identity. All right, let's keep going. All right, trusting. The next point I want to say about this is that, is that trusting that we can, we can honor those who hurt us uh, um, and those who are in authority who hurt us because 
Because we can trust that God will reward our righteousness and our faithfulness to him. So let's keep reading. Psalm, uh, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 21. And Saul said, I have sinned, return my son David, for I will no more do you harm because my life is precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. I, I have to point this out, that he calls himself a fool. Now, this is very important because, again, like I said, Samuel chapters 24 through to 26, they're all kind of sort of the same kind of story arc. And so right in the middle of that is a story about Nabal and that word Nabal, that name Nabal, literally means fool. And a, and a lot of scholars believe that that the author intentionally put in this part, you know, inspired by the Holy Spirit, put in this part that Saul calls himself a fool, basically demonstrating that if anybody stands against the will of God, anyone pursues the righteous to harm them and slander them and destroy them, they are fools. And God plans to eventually show those individuals as fools. God put the whole camp into a deep sleep. That word deep sleep actually is the exact same word that was used to describe how Adam was put to sleep so that the rib could be taken out so Eve can be made. This is a really deep sleep. This is supernatural power at work. Over and over again in 1 Samuel, you see God supernaturally intervening so that he can be loyal to David. This is a story about God. God assigned authorities for God assigned purposes. And so God had a plan to show that all those who oppose him will eventually be demonstrated to be fools. God doesn't mind appointing leaders who aren't sharp in character. Do you know why? Because he doesn't mind demonstrating that all true power and knowledge actually comes from him. You know, as a pastor, I will fail. You know, as an elders team, we're going to fail sometimes. We're not going to do everything right. And a lot of us have been hurt by pastors already. We would never want to be in that scenario. We would never be in that category. But it's possible we might. But what you know, this is what we hope. We hope that this treasure that's in jars of clay, that God has invested in us, the honor that he's given us to lead this congregation would demonstrate God's power. And sometimes that happens when we fail. So that people will recognize that this power doesn't come from Robin, doesn't come from Josh, doesn't come from Greg, doesn't come from Ross, it comes from God. God appointed leadership is often there, even if the consequences are bad, it's often there just to prove the goodness and the power of God. First Samuel 26, verse 22. We've got to keep going. And David answered and said, Here is the spirit, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. And the Lord, I love how David says it. He says, The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son. David, he calls him my son. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way, and Saul returned to his place. One key thing that's not here in this 
um, in this chapter. So this is the end of the chapter. But the next one, uh, chapter 27, verse 1 says, D David said, okay, I, Saul is surely going to kill me. You know, even, even after Saul's, you know, like great plea of like, oh, I'm going to support you, whatever. Even, even David's like, okay, he's really going to kill me. I know he will because he keeps going back and forth. You see, David didn't have to like him. He didn't have to go back and put himself in harm's way. But he took the opportunity to vindicate himself. He took the opportunity to honor his identity. Then he makes this comment that the Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness for the Lord gave you into my hand today. And I will not put my hand out against the Lord's anointed. Thanks, Mark. That was quick. Good on you. Good on you, bud. Okay. There's something very important that we need to hear. I want to keep, let's, keep that, let's keep that up there because I want to see that word rewards. See, that word rewards is actually the same word in Hebrew as the word return. And some scholars believe that, that there's something very important here. There's a play on words happening because Saul, it says later on that Saul returned to his place. And so that word rewards and return are the exact same words. God is going to return to you um, blessing and honor. To, uh, return to the righteous blessing and honor, I should say, based on their faithfulness and their willingness to trust. And we've seen it in multiple places all over in Scripture. Uh, it goes on to even say in, in Chronicles, you know, at the, at the end of David's life, so I don't have the exact reference, but at the end of his life, it said David was full of days, was full of riches. And he was honored. I mean, he, he experienced the shame of being kicked out of, this, out of the nation. Experienced the shame of saying, oh, go serve other gods. Go to the Philistines and serve other gods. You're not worthy of being part of the people of Israel. And you're not worthy to worship at our temple. All the shame that was placed on him, he didn't receive it. He honored his identity and he trusted that God will return to him what was taken and God did more than that. Was David perfect? No, obviously not. I mean, he's, he's sort of a, a Christ type that we can look at, but I mean, if you look at his life, is he in, inherently righteous? No, he doesn't do everything right. But again, the book of Samuel is about God's loyalty to him. He had a plan. And what we get to witness is what does it look like through David's life? What does it look like to trust God in suffering and also trust God in blessing? Because sometimes even blessing can be a test, but that's another that's another subject for another time. So God rewards David with honor. Even after all of this, everything he experienced. Let me close like by saying this. Thank you for journeying. God places, God places people in authority in our lives. and God places people in authority in our lives. That's all we need to know. He's the one who places them. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad, but it's all for a purpose. How can we honor these people? We can honor them, because it's hard to do it. How do we honor our fathers and mothers who have harmed us? How do we honor our fathers and mothers who abandoned us? How do we honor our fathers and mothers who are actually passed away who have harmed us? Well, we could still respect them. We could still show them respect, and the way that we could do that is by acknowledging that God is our judge and our advocate. He's going to help us and support us, that what was taken from us, he will restore. We can also trust that, um, we can also honor our own identity. We could stand up for who we are as believers, and you know, and pray with 
fervency because we know that we are children of God and God hears us and we understand that prayer is powerful. The prayer of a righteous man, I'm going to say it in King James, availeth much, right? We know that there's power in our identity. And then and lastly, we can also trust that God rewards our faithfulness. He returns the good. Now, um, this also applies in so many different ways. You know, we're looking at our, our, our governments now and decisions they've made that we are approve of and we don't approve of and and all of our rights that we feel are denied and so on and so on. And it's not that we shouldn't fight for these privileges or that we shouldn't say something about them. But if we are putting that above our own identity, if we are jumping to protest before prayer, that can be an issue. Because what the battle is, 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 is battles not between flesh and blood. There's only two sides. It's not liberal and conservative. It's not Montreal Canadiens and Toronto Maple Leafs, it's not black versus white. It's the kingdom of darkness against the kingdom of light. It's God's kingdom against the kingdom of, the, of Satan. And the kingdom of Satan has nothing on God's kingdom. Let's talk about the anointed one, Jesus. God has appointed him He's anointed him the leader. That's, what he, that's even what Messiah means. It means the anointed one. He is, he is the one who's been appointed leadership over all of creation. He's been given the highest seat above all principalities and powers, all authorities on earth or not even on the earth, even spiritual authorities. He is the one who's come to live inside each and every one of us to empower us to face every experience that we face. Let us first honor our identity in Christ and call down heaven for the things that are hurting us and hurting the ones that we love. And then we seek him for counsel. Seek the truth, not a truth. Seek the truth for the truth of what to do next. And he will lead us and guide us. And he will return to us what has been taken. We can trust him to do that. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity, the blessing of even being able to, uh, to share your word and have people hear it. I mean, some of us believers don't have the privilege of doing that right now all over the world. Actually, the majority of believers don't have it. We're the very few percent that have this honor. But you have a purpose for this word, and so I release it to you and to your own purposes. And I pray that you would empower us today to live boldly for you and to honor our identity as people of power and prayer, but also beloved children of God. Ask this in Jesus' name. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.